this week on Hope for the Broken. When Moses received the Ten Commandments and he gave them to the people, he said, listen, these commandments are to be upon your heart, but you are to also teach them diligently to your children. This strategy is the lifeline of Christianity. It is our job, beloved, to walk in, understand, and communicate biblical truths. And it will be the next generation's responsibility to do the same. But hear me, without us modeling Jesus faithfully, will the next generation see a need for it? Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called The Core. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled, Modeling Jesus Faithfully. Last week, Pastor Jeff kicked off a new teaching series, did an absolute fantastic job, a teaching series that we are calling The Core. We're taking a look at core values that drive our church, uh, the things that drive us to want to accomplish our mission. And our mission is given to us by the Lord Jesus himself, that is to make disciples that then make disciples. And core values that drive us to see our vision come to fruition. Our vision is to become a gospel-centered community, centered on God's Word, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. And it is the very undergirding of the strategies that we have in place here as a church that we trust Jesus, we express trusting in Jesus through the vehicle of personal and corporate worship. We transform lives. We're in the business of transforming lives in community, in small groups, and we are to be about telling others by living on mission. That is our strategy. But what is it that drives us to want to accomplish that thing? That is the very core values that we possess. Pastor Jeff talked last week about sharing the gospel relentlessly. You know, when our staff team got together and we started thinking through what are our core values, what are we truly driven by, it was amazing to see how God worked in and through that process and and led us to the specific wording on each of these four core uh, values. And to come to the to the sharing the gospel relentlessly, I I just love that. It fires me up. When, When you think about it, you know, we need to be relentless in our pursuit of heralding the good news of Jesus Christ. There is an enemy, the Bible tells us his name is Satan, that desires to keep non-believers without hope, to keep them blinded to the truths of the gospel. And when we share the gospel, that very real enemy seeks to thwart us from that task. It seeks to distract us from that goal. And we, therefore, are relentless, even in the face of whatever the enemy might throw our way, we are relentless in heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because, listen, the hope of the world rests not in a politician, not in a policy, or not even a good way of living. The hope of a hopeless world rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we unashamedly share the gospel, and we do so with relentless pursuit. And that leads us to our second core value here this morning, and that is modeling Jesus faithfully. 
That will be our topic this morning. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be specifically in verses 1 through 13 here this morning as we talk about what it means to model Jesus faithfully. In order to be people that model the Lord Jesus faithfully in our day and time, we must be strengthened by the truth. We must invest the truth in others, and we must endure in the truth. That will serve as our outline this morning, and then we'll look at a couple of key application points, how we actually implement those truths in our day and time. You know, I can remember when our boys were little, and they had graduated to their big boy beds. Uh, You know, they're 16 months apart, and uh, we got them bunk beds. And we purchased these bunk beds from Ikea. And as you guys know, Ikea, like you got to assemble everything together. Kathy is particularly gifted at assembling things. And so uh, she started working on it. And by the time I got home from uh, the office, uh, the vast majority of the bunk bed was put together. The only thing that was remaining were the slats that the, uh, that the mattress would rest on. And, and these slats were like one by threes, you know, with little holes, pre-drilled holes on either side of the slats with, with plastic pegs that, that were inserted in there to hold them in place. And, um, and so I got my little, a little hammer just to tap those plastic pegs into, uh, into place. And as I was doing that, I noticed something. Our boys left the room. They were watching me. They left the room and they went and got their toy tools. And they came running in the room. And you know what they were doing? They were, they were tapping with their, with their plastic toys, uh, tools, uh, and, and, and keeping those slats in place. I can even remember, uh, as a child, when my dad would mow the lawn, I had a little, uh, plastic lawnmower that made bubbles, right? And I would mow behind him, right? I wanted to be doing the things that my dad was doing. I was modeling what he was set before us. You, you know, modeling is powerful, isn't it? especially in our kids' lives. It's monkey see, monkey do. And so uh, in a lot of ways, we, we need to take advantage of the, of the idea of modeling Jesus for our culture. Because sometimes you may be the only Jesus somebody ever sees. And so it's vitally important that we as believers uh, be driven by modeling Jesus faithfully, to do so faithfully. In, in 2 Timothy Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And a lot of scholars believe that Timothy was beginning to wane in the work. Not that he was falling into some sort of sin, but that he was getting discouraged by the work and and that it was discouraging at some points. And he was growing weary in the work. And so Paul writes this letter. He wants to encourage him to remain faithful. Paul is in prison when he's writing this, this word. And so it's vitally important that Timothy carry out the work to, to be diligent in, in its pursuit, to remain faithful. And by doing so, the Lord would use young Timothy in powerful ways. And in chapter 2, specifically, Paul focuses in on two things for Timothy. Number one, to be strengthened in Christ. And number two, to pass the truths of Christ onto the next generation. And in doing that, he uses three examples, three illustrations that we're going to point to that serve as examples for Timothy to be reminded of modeling Jesus faithfully and the impact that has not only on him, but on others as well. So let's examine as we look at the qualities of a disciple that models Jesus. 
The first quality is someone that is living the truth. Living the truth. To be a disciple that models Jesus, you first got to be living it. And, And that's the point of the first two verses of Timothy 2. Look at what Paul says. You then, my child, this wasn't Paul's literal child, it was his son in the faith. You then, my child, be strengthened, be strong by the grace that is made available in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Let's stop right there for just a moment. We'll pick up there in just a second. But Paul is saying, before you can model Jesus, Timothy, before you can pass along the truth of who he is to someone else, you must be first strengthened by him. The word strengthened in the original language means to be filled with power. Just like electricity doesn't have its full effect unless it passes through something, we must be filled, we must be strengthened by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not only in us, but also through us. In other words, before we can pass on Jesus, Jesus must first reign supreme and do his work, and the Holy Spirit do his work in us. Paul is saying, Timothy, you have great and important work ahead of you. You are going to influence generations. There will be people that will be encouraged by your example 2,000 years after you go to glory. As a result, Timothy, you got to be strengthened in Jesus. you got to be strengthened in the truth. Here's a truth that I know that we already know, but often we forget. Strength, power, to live by the truth comes in daily interaction with the truth. Well, who is the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus calls himself the truth. We are to have a relationship daily with Christ. And it is by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that you and I are afforded an opportunity to have a relationship with the Holy God. Prior to salvation, we are apart from God. Oh, but the benefits that come in coming to faith in Jesus as Lord, the most of which being able to commune with the Holy God, to have access to Almighty God. So when we say a relationship with Jesus is paramount, we're talking about daily living with him. And you know what Jesus modeled this for us? He modeled it for us. In fact, in Mark chapter 135, it says that he, Jesus, rose very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. If Jesus, God in the flesh, was dependent on daily time with the Father, how much more do you and I need such strengthening? That's a truth that ought to ring true in our hearts each and every day. Yes, we must pass on the truths of God's word, but we first got to let it do its work in us. Jesus says in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me remains in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Your modeling Jesus is in vain if you're not relating with Jesus in daily living with him. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, Paul uses three examples to support his arguments, his, his challenge to young Timothy. I think the first two examples applies to this part of, you know, being strengthened in the truth first. The first two examples he uses is of a soldier and then an athlete. Look with me at verses 3 through 5 of 2 Timothy 2 as we lean on these examples that Paul shares. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So let's talk about those two examples for a moment and talk about how it pertains to being strengthened in Christ. First, the soldier. Now, for us, we understand the depiction of a soldier is often linked to battle. And so it would be an assumption for us that that Paul is saying, be prepared for spiritual battle. And while I do think that that is an aspect here, I think Paul is leaning on a slightly different aspect of a soldier's life. I think he isn't pertaining to battle because what I think he's trying to point out is that a key component to military life and military personnel is disciplined obedience. It is about being subordinate to a commanding officer. It is about receiving orders and being undeterred in carrying them out. See, there cannot be a weakening of resolve There can't be a weakening in skill or in strength because if there is, threats greatly increase. So what Paul is pointing to Timothy is, listen, you got to be disciplined. you got to be well-trained. you got to focus on the mission. He goes on to say that soldiers don't get distracted by civilian pursuits. In other words, the soldier is not driven by entertainment. The, center, the, the, the soldier's not driven by politics or financial gain or anything other than the mission that is given to him. Well, for us to be well-trained and disciplined, we must surrender ourselves. Take orders from the commander-in-chief, not the president of the United States, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his commands are clearly sp- uh, spelled out for us in God's word. Paul then goes on and says, think about the athlete. An athlete, he says, forfeits the prize if he does not compete according to the rules. In Paul's day, an athletic champion was given an evergreen wreath. And that wreath could be uh, taken away if it was ever discovered that, that that the athlete did not compete according to the rules. In fact, there was a motto in that day that said this, no rules, no wreath. Paul is saying that to model Jesus, we must first have to be trained, disciplined, and we do that by living according to his holy word. Listen, we cannot be a people that compete or live by our own desires. We cannot conform to new age morality reinvented Christianity, or feel-good gospels. The crown and the victory are awarded only to those that live according to the rules, to God's rules for Christian living. Now, it is not Paul talking about, hey, listen, you got to work to maintain your salvation. Because if that's the case, that's an impossibility, right? All of us are doomed. The good news of the gospel is that you're saved once and for all. 
That's a done deal when you come to Christ. Forever, for all of eternity. But the Bible also teaches that we are being saved. In other words, we are being sanctified. We are in the process of becoming more like Christ, living according to the truths of his word. That's what he's talking about here. You've got to be like a good athlete, disciplined. You've got to be like a good soldier, surrendered to the commanding officer. And listen, we should expect the word of God to confront us all, shouldn't we? I mean, I think sometimes we live in a day and a time where people are like, well, let's not preach on the really sensitive stuff because you might offend somebody. Well, listen, the word of God needs to be offensive to me at some times. And you know why? It's because I'm an imperfect human. You're an imperfect human. This is a perfect word of God. And so we ought to expect perfection to confront that which was imperfect. And without it, then what is, what is the point? We're just... Trying to adapt it to our own lives, that's not what Paul is after. He said, listen, you be strong in your resolve. You be disciplined. How? By living according to the truths of God's word. So modeling Jesus faithfully means that we first live the truth. The second quality of a disciple modeling Jesus faithfully is sharing the truth. Two parts to modeling Jesus faithfully. First, we live the truth. And second, we invest the truth in others. Look at verse 2 of 2 Timothy 2 again. Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul uses the word entrust. That word in the original language that it was written in carries the meaning of a deposit, like a, an investment. It can also mean a serving of food. When we teach God's word, listen, hear me, when we feast on God's truths, it is an investment, a deposit that is intended to yield a return and a continuation. It is not simply for head knowledge. It's got to be for heart transformation. And Paul makes mention of four generations here. He says, what you've heard from me to Timothy, entrust to faithful men and women and then two others also. Four generations. And that strategy has fueled gospel advancement since the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It even goes further back than that. It goes to the beginning of time. Remember when, when Moses received the Ten Commandments and he gave them to the people? He said, listen, these commandments are to be upon your heart, but you are to also teach them diligently to your children. You're to pass them along intentionally to your family. This strategy, hear me, is the lifeline of Christianity. It has always been that. And while God will certainly continue his work until Jesus returns, listen, he will raise up a faithful people. Sometimes, and in some generations, it's only a small remnant, but whoever it is, he will continue that work until he returns. But until then, our faith is simply one generation away from extinction. So we've got to be diligent, not only to live by it, but to pass it along. It is our job, beloved, to walk in, understand, and communicate biblical truths. And it will be the next generation's responsibility to do the same. But hear me, without us modeling Jesus faithfully, will the next generation see a need for it? Absolutely not. Our lives speak louder than our words. 
And this is why it has to be a core value of our church. We are to model Jesus faithfully. I want you to think about Timothy for just a moment. He's reading this letter written by Paul. He has no idea that later on that's going to become part of the canon of God's word. He didn't have the Bible, it leather bound. He has a letter from Paul. He has a few teachings and some sermons. He may have a rusty old copy of the Old Testament. Probably not, though. And he's leaning on modeling. He's leaning on personal investment from key followers of Christ surrounding him to teach him the way to go. Can I tell you something? The same is true for us. Because what young Timothy's need today is personal mentoring, not just information. We live in a day and time where information is literally at our fingertips. All kinds of information. But young Timothy's need guidance and examples to follow. It hasn't changed. So the question becomes, what is being modeled? What is discipling the next generation of Christian leaders? Is it God's word? Is it our lives? Or is it someone on the other end of a TikTok video? Listen, beloved, discipling someone is the greatest blessing you and I will ever receive. If you've ever discipled someone, you've seen them grow in the faith, you've seen them execute ministry, it will fire you up. And guess what? God's doing it. He's doing it. And he invites you and I to be a part of what he is doing. I want to speak very practical here for just a moment. I hope you can see the intentionality in this core value in our church. We are investing and trusting in you. You say, how, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, our desire is to take the scriptures, to faithfully proclaim them to you and to your children, to invest them, to entrust them to you. And we're doing this with a very clear purpose so that you will do the same for others. Let me share with you how we're seeing this take place in our church this very day. As we continue to grow as a church, we're looking to move increasing numbers of people into small groups. Why? Because it's in small groups where you are loved, you are known, and you are cared for. But more importantly, you are taught God's word. Uh, it's, it's a group of people that will challenge you to live in this. And, and here's the truth. We call our groups, our adult groups, adult Bible study groups. And I know that's not fancy terminology for this day and time, but it's very intentional. Because we're not book clubs. We study the book, the Bible. It is the very thing that transforms our lives. It is the very thing that must be entrusted to you to pass on to others. And, and we're constantly raising up New leaders, why? Because we take 2 Timothy 2, 2 seriously. Not too seriously, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, seriously, right? This fall, for example, we launched several new groups. Of those groups, three are what we call multiplications. We do not use the word split. That is the S word, right, in church life. We do not split, we multiply. All right, and let me tell you, our strategy is to multiply small groups that have grown to be large so that people can feel more comfortable coming in and sharing and being connected in the truth. Let me give you ways that we've seen multiplication work here effectively. Four years ago, a little over four years ago, we launched a group out of our 
newlywed, nearlywed, are engaged in young married uh, class. And, and that couple launched out of there four and a half years ago scared to death. <laughs> they felt ill-equipped, unprepared, and not knowing what's going to happen. But they launched, and we started a parents of elementary age kids group. And the leaders were tasked with discipling other people. And God has used that multiplication in a powerful way. Let me, let me tell you how he's used it. This fall, that group has raised up three other young leaders that have now launched a new parents of elementary age students group. It had grown so large that we needed to multiply that out. And guess what? Those two groups are now thriving again. It's important. And that's not the only group that that's happened in. That group has also multiplied a parents of preschoolers group. Well, guess what? That parents of preschoolers group has blown up so much so they've raised up another young leader. And guess what? They've multiplied that class. And we now have two parents of preschoolers groups. What this is, is that it is a investing in the next generation so that they can then invest. And what guided the church in Timothy's day continues to guide the church today. We are entrusting. And, and, and this is more than just a good word on the page in the Bible, right? It's the very thing that drove the church then, and it should be the very thing that drives our church now. And by God's continued growth, grace, those folks will entrust God's word to others, so forth and so on, until Jesus returns. This has to be our heartbeat. And can I challenge you here for just a moment? You may think there is no way that I could ever lead a group that is a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, here we have in, in, in the first uh, establishment of the church, 3,000 people came to faith. This is how I imagine some of those conversations going. Peter's baptizing 3,000 people. That must have been tiresome. And then he goes, hey, Jim Bob, because I think that's the Hebrew name. Uh, Jim Bob, I need you to lead a group. I got 3,000 people here that need to be discipled. Jim Bob goes, well, I just was baptized. Yeah, that'd be great. I want you to take a group, meet in your home, and I want you to invest God's word in other people. You could do it. He said, well, where do I do it? Do it at your work. Have a Bible study. Do it at the gym. Do it in your home. Do it here at church. And here's, here's the commitment that we make to you. We can give you the resources to make it happen. What if we had pockets of disciple-making groups all over this city? How might we see this city transform? You can do it. We can help you. We will equip you. So the qualities of a disciple modeling Jesus is one that is living in the truth and sharing the truth. Thirdly, a disciple modeling Jesus is someone that is enduring in the truth. Enduring in the truth. Let's pick back up in verse 6 and read through verse 13. Paul says, It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering now, bound with chains as a criminal. But you know what? The word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, there's that word, we also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. Listen, serving Jesus, modeling him, is hard work. It requires commitment and faithfulness to him. That's the picture that Paul paints in using the example of a hard-working farmer. You think about farmers. It's a job of constant perseverance. Early to rise, laborious work, late to return home, and for what? The hopes that the crown might produce fruit. Uh, The Christian life is not for wimps. The Christian life is hard, but it is so very worth it. It is a calling to hardworking folks, like a hardworking farmer that is dependent upon God to provide the increase. I mentioned earlier in this message that Timothy was likely discouraged in the work of ministry. So he says, think about the hardworking farmer. There will be a payoff, he says. And in verse 6, he says that the farmer should have first share of the crops. In other words, a farmer will reap rewards. I think Paul is reminding Timothy that there's a reward for faithfulness to Jesus. I would say that there are two types of rewards that the Bible speaks about. Those giving to, to those that are, that are seeking the hard work of carrying out the mission of God in their life. The first reward is seeing others come to saving faith. That's a reward. It's a fruit. Paul says that he endures everything. Why? For the sake of those that are being saved. Listen, people come to faith in Jesus because of faithful preaching of other believers. And guess who are the preachers? Not just me. Not just our staff. You. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a preacher. It's true. You're a preacher. You're a helder of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14, he says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Like good, hardworking farmers, we plant the seed of the gospel that it might lead others to salvation here and now. Listen, we do the planting, God does the saving. So we do the hard work that we might see God do the fruitful work. But there is a second reward that comes from such faithfulness to Christ. It's a reward that is not given in this life, but in eternity. An eternal focus that motivates us to live faithfully for Christ here and now. Paul says, Timothy, remain faithful, man. Be strong. Stay the course. Because verse 11, if we have died with him, if we've endured with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with Christ. The Bible teaches that we are co-heirs with Christ. We seek to model Jesus faithfully for the benefit of the next generation, but also for the benefit of filling heaven. That's our job. Share the gospel. Let Jesus rescue sinners and save them that they might enjoy a relationship with him. 
So disciples model Jesus by living the truth, sharing the truth, and enduring in the truth. Now in the time that we have left, I want to talk about a couple of examples, a couple of application points that apply to our lives today. How do we live this out? Two things. First, leverage your area of influence. Leverage your area of influence. We leverage the areas of influence by considering the people that we have influence on. Our family, people at our jobs, our friends, and our church. Mom and dad, your first ministry is to your kids. Model Jesus to your kids. And no one expects you to be perfect parents, by the way. You know why? Because you can't be. But you could do your best in modeling Jesus for them. And let me just talk about the workplace for just a moment. I believe the biblical view of work is to be the best that you can be so that you can leverage it for influencing others. Listen, Christians ought to be the hardest workers. Christians ought to be the most successful, the smartest in the room, and definitely the wisest. Why? Because that it reflects the character of God. We model Jesus in the marketplace by how we work and the excellence that we pursue there. And when others see you succeed, they want what you got, and you point them to Jesus. Influence your friends by talking what's most important to you, your relationship with Christ. Influence your church by being intentional, investing in others. In your mind's eye right now, I want you to think about the people that you're seated around. Can I tell you something? They are not there by accident. Divine appointments. They have something to speak into your life and you have something to speak into theirs. And so we need to take this seriously because they have something to benefit. You have something to benefit. Therefore, we must invest in one another. We got to challenge one another. We got to love one another. We got to serve one another. That's God's design. Leverage your area of influence. Secondly, live differently. Live differently. As believers of Jesus Christ, we're not just called to worship him on Sunday. We're called to carry our cross on Mondays. We we should stand out. We should be different. Here's the question. Do non-believers see a difference in your life? Because you might be the only Jesus someone sees. And and, and here's the truth. I, I sometimes think that we have bought into this lie that the more we look like the world, the more relevant we become, and then they'll adopt our message. Listen, they don't want more of themselves. They want people who are full of joy. People who are encouraging. People who are peaceful. People who are kind. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like the fruits of the Spirit. Be different. Stand out so that others say, I want what you got. I'm going to close with a true story today from whenever I was a student minister. And uh, there was this young lady who started coming to, to church with her friends. And uh, she was coming and coming. And then eventually she came to an event that we had weeks later. And Uh, people were praying for her like crazy. And she came forward at the end of that event. She gave her life to Christ. These were her words to me. Pastor Chris, I have never heard the name of Jesus before I started coming to church. I want you to think about that for a moment. This wasn't some crazy place like Oregon or Washington or 
Arkansas, right? <laughs> this was in Burleson, Texas. I mean, the buckle of the Bible belt. And her words, I've never heard the name of Jesus before I started coming to church. You know, Tina got saved. She's never gotten over it. She later became my intern there at the church, and then she still to this day is serving her church like crazy, pointing other people to Jesus Christ. Here's what I learned from Tina's story. Number one, never assume people know who Jesus is. And never underestimate the power of living differently from the world. Don't look like the world in order to fit in. Stand out so that they want to be like him. We shouldn't want to be like the world. We should want the world to be like Jesus and to come to know him. Show them by the way you live your life. Show the world that there is joy in Christ. There is hope in Christ and there is life in Christ. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.